Let's pause for a moment in prayer together. Will you pray with me? Loving God, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. So today we pray, help us to truly hear it. Allow your words to sink deep into the marrow of our bones. Allow your words to lift our hearts in hope that we might feel one day closer to your promised day. With hopeful and grateful hearts, we pray. Amen. What a weird morning this is, huh? Not just the weather, but just being here this morning. You know how the Advent season usually has four Sundays of Advent that all prepare us for Christmas Eve for this day? Well, the fourth Sunday of Advent doesn't fall on Christmas Eve very often. It's only about every six years or so that this happens. Although by 2017, it hadn't happened for 11 years because of how the leap years affected the calendar. So this is weird. It's Christmas Eve, and yet it's not quite Christmas Eve, right? The pyramids are all still blue. They'll be swapped for white ones in just a few hours, maybe even minutes. We're still singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this morning, but in just a few minutes, we will break into Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. But for now, here we are in this weird, already, but not yet, kind of in-between place. Already, but not yet. Do you know what I mean by that? Everyone's like, yes. I remember reading about this in seminary, and when I went to go look for a quote to share with you all this morning, I pretty much fell asleep. It was so dry. So, Here is your Pastor Mary Kate's take on this whole idea. Most of our life of faith is spent right here in this very weird in-between space. Advent is a really good example because we all know that Jesus is already here, already born, already walked this earth, already healed, taught, blessed, baptized, already set everything in motion, and his followers already started the church. Love has already broken into the world. We can see it all around us. And yet, Jesus hasn't been born yet. We are still waiting this morning. The Big C Church recognizes this weird already but not yet space again during the season of Lent. It feels like as soon as we are done celebrating that Jesus was born, we begin this march towards Easter. We spend 40 days preparing our hearts and minds and bodies for Resurrection Day. But Easter morning already happened, right? The Spirit has already been set loose in the world. The kingdom of God is already here. And yet, all of us see, feel, know that the world is not yet as it ought to be. 
we're still ushering in this new kingdom where the last are first, where love reigns, justice and mercy and peace are flowing down like mighty waters. It's already here, and yet not quite yet. The age to come and the present age overlap, and we're living in it trying to figure out how we are supposed to be ushering in what is to come. Nowadays, I would say that most churches have fallen away from any acknowledgement of Holy Saturday. Do you even know what that is? Maybe not. It's that day in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that weird in-between Saturday. Most of us spend that at Easter egg hunts and parties, But this day is the epitome of what I'm talking about here. On Holy Saturday, we are sitting right in the midst of the already but not yet. Jesus died, and we know Easter is tomorrow. But here we are right in the midst of that tension. It's ominous almost. I think that's kind of what hope feels like, though. It's almost foreboding, spooky. It's knowing what's lurking around the corner but not having the jump scare quite yet. It's the last few ticks of the roller coaster before you reach the top. It's the anticipation of opening the Pillsbury croissant dough. The thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. We live in this space of hope. We are a people of hope. And it's a weird place to live. Weird meaning full of tension and nuance. Weird meaning not how a lot of people live. Weird meaning countercultural. It's almost like we as Christians, we, we place ourselves willingly on the edge of the unknown every single day which is daunting and a bit scary, but also full of surprises, the good kind. And I know that the Spirit is very present in this very weird space. I found myself talking about this whole idea when I meet with couples who are engaged and planning a wedding. It seems to resonate with them. It's a unique time where you have committed and made promises, and yet things are kind of the same, but not really. You aren't what you were before. Something is new, and yet you aren't quite what you're going to be. And ask any engaged couple, that is a weird space to be, often full of tension and nuance on the edge of the unknown, but also exciting and full of hope And as I tell these couples, I am convinced that the Spirit is very present during that time. We just need to remember to keep our eyes and ears open. We find ourselves often in the already but not yet space during the end of our lives on earth as well. All of those feelings come up. It's the end of what was, what is to come is in sight, it's right there, and yet graduation day hasn't come yet. And anyone who has sat with someone in this particular already but not yet space has a deep knowing 
that the Spirit is very present, helping us to take stock of what has come before, offering us glimmers of what is to come. Our whole bodies beg us to stay seated in this overlap right at the edge of what is to come. And fully living in that space is what's called hope. Perhaps the easiest to see example of the already but not yet is right where Mary and Joseph, Elizabeth and Zechariah find themselves today in our scriptures. There are babies, but they haven't been born yet. They're in the midst of that very tension-filled, nuanced, scary, exciting, on the edge of the unknown, unbelievably hopeful place called pregnancy. And at first glance, it seems really weird that right in the midst of all of that, these folks are singing. You know that's what Pastor Sarah read for us today, right? Those weren't just words, those were songs. So we heard the song that Zechariah broke out singing as soon as he gained his voice back. And then we heard Mary's song, the Magnificat, a rallying cry for justice. The beginning of Luke's gospel is actually full of songs. Mary's is the most notable, of course, but then as soon as Zechariah is done taking the stage to praise God for God's fidelity to Israel through the birth of his son, John the Baptist, The angels then offer their canticle of peace and goodwill at the birth of Jesus. And then Simon will croon of God's mercy being extended to all the world. Which begs the question, why? Why does this weird already but not yet time that all of these folks are living in sound like a musical on Broadway? Maybe Luke, the gospel writer, was an aspiring playwright Or, Luke understood, and Luke understands, just as the psalmists of Israel did, that songs are powerful. Just think, those psalms of lament express our innermost grief and fear, powerfully honoring these deep and difficult emotions, helping everyone who sings them feel seen and heard all while simultaneously stripping those emotions of their power to incapacitate us. Then there's the songs of praise and thanksgiving. They not only unite us with the one to whom we lift our voices, but as Pastor Sarah shared with us a few weeks ago, singing unites our hearts when we sing together. Canticles of courage and promise not only name our hopes, but also contribute to bringing them into being. And I'm certain that that's what Mary was doing when she sang her song, her rallying cry for justice and peace. It's kind of a weird lullaby, is it not? Yeah, it it is not. It is a song of hope and promise that rallies the world to join in the message that her son will preach during his ministry on earth. 
I was reading this commentary that a pastor at a church in Minnesota wrote 15 years ago on this passage, and he pointed out that Mary's song is written in the past tense. The rest of what he said was kind of weird, not the good kind of weird, but this part was really intriguing to me. Mary recognizes that she has been drawn into relationship with the God of Israel, the one who has been siding with the oppressed and the downtrodden since the days of Egypt, the one who has been making and keeping promises since the days of Abraham. But she's not singing in the past tense to signify that all she's singing about has already been accomplished. Rather, she's singing in the past tense to describe what God has been up to in the past, what God has already done, and is acknowledging that she is now a part of it. She's living in the midst of it. God is using her in the history-making. She's living in the already, but not yet. It is worth noting that whereas Luke on several occasions in these opening chapters located God's activity among the historically powerful, they are noticeably absent in this scene and replaced by two pregnant cousins. Similarly, the politically and prophetically significant cities of Rome and Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth are not the locale for these songs but rather the humble hill country of Judea. Already, at least in this song, the proud have been scattered and the lowly uplifted. But not yet. How much more will we see when the children these cousins bear come of age? One of my favorite songs of the season is a rather new one called The Canticle of the Turning. It was written by Rory Cooney in 1990 and is based on this scripture, Mary's Magnificat. The chorus goes like this. I'm not going to sing. Could the world be about to turn? My heart shall sing of the day you bring Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. Songs are powerful. And I wonder, what is your song of the season this year? And it doesn't have to be what the radio is forcing you to listen to. It could be a song of lament. It could be a canticle of courage or a song of praise. I just wonder what it is. We are making ample room for singing all day today, both this morning and this evening. And I know that a few voices drawn together in song on this weird December, Advent, Christmas Eve-ish morning may seem like a small thing in the face of the wars and worries of this day. But surely they are no smaller than those two voices joined in the Judean hill country 20 centuries ago. Mary's God, we should remember, 
delights in taking what is small and insignificant in the eyes of the world to do extraordinary and unexpected things. So it has been, is, and ever shall be, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. May it be so. Amen.